Welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Over the next hour, we are going to celebrate women across all venues of education and hear stories from trailblazing educators of challenge and success, highlighting that leadership is not always about a title. Now here's your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. It is such a pleasure to be here with you today, and we thank you for tuning in. For those listening that do not know me or those that are new to the show, I always share a few details about the backstory of the Empowering Women in Educational Leadership show with you. As a lifetime educator myself and with a mother who was a very strong teacher and leader in a Texas high school for over 40 years, I felt it was a natural transition to highlight strong women in educational leadership. So many times women assume that they have to have a title to be a leader, which is not true at all. So many women inspire, guide, support, and empower each other. Those women are the transformational leaders that focus on elevating one another through mentorship, whether intentional or not. I wanted to highlight the great things and people supporting women in educational leadership. Now, I personally have been in education for over 30 years at the K-12 and higher ed level as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. I am now the owner of Do Good Leadership, where I'm a professional speaker, leadership and success coach and mentor, author, consultant, and radio show host. My focus has shifted from working within an institution to a new focus outward where I can serve, elevate, and inspire women to be amazing leaders in education at all levels. This show is the opportunity to bridge the connection between where a woman in education is and where she wants to be after developing leadership skills and confidence to become that empowering transformational leader. The key is to find a strong mentor to help guide you along the way. My mother was my mentor until she died in a tragic car accident when I was 27. I've made it my life's purpose to develop, serve, support, and empower women in educational leadership through mentorship. Therefore, I help women in education develop those leadership skills to become that confident leader. Today's the fourth episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership, and I'm so honored to have this opportunity to highlight amazing things that women are doing. And each show has a guest from a different background across the country with unique perspectives to share relating to empowering women. So our guest today is Brenda Jones, who is a first-generation non-traditional college student that had first-hand experience of the challenges and barriers students face along the educational journey. Early on, Brenda put her career on hold while she was a stay-at-home mom focused on raising her family, but decided to return to school later in life to pursue her passion, working with students. She's earned two degrees, and she also earned Outstanding Student of the Year at one of her institutions. She's been a teacher and instructor, counselor, and educational mentor since 2010. She's dedicated her life to working with at-risk students, finding ways to remove barriers, keeping them from being successful. She has served as a teacher in K-12 in reading and language arts before shifting to guidance counseling and ultimately landing in higher education. She currently serves as an academic support coordinator too at a university where she is passionate about creating first year student programming that builds individuals and campus communities. She uses humor to create positive and humanized bonds with students while having a growth mindset with a focus on thinking beyond the standard. Her favorite quote is by Eleanor Roosevelt, small minds discuss people, average minds discuss events. 
great minds discuss ideas. Please welcome Brenda Jones. Hey, Brenda. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Dugan. I'm very excited to be here today. Oh, absolutely. And today we're going to talk about empowering women in educational leadership, first generation, non-traditional students and imposter syndrome. Mm. So let's first tell me a little bit about your personal journey. Absolutely. So um, I am from a very, very small town in West Alabama. Um, and I, I mentioned that because a lot of times, um, if you've never been exposed to anything, it's very difficult to to set goals. People are like, set goals. It's so important. Well, if you haven't never seen, if you've never seen much, it's difficult to try to do that. But um, my path um, from being first in, both of my parents are blue collar. My father worked for 32 years at a paper mill. My mom was a secretary. And so um, good people cared about me, just weren't able to give me very much guidance as far as college. And I surprised everyone and ended up being first in my class. Um, and they were like, oh, gosh, you should probably go to college. And but there was not a lot of um, not a lot of thought to that. And so um, when I tell you that it's a miracle that I ended up where I am, it really is because there I did everything wrong. Dr. Duguid. I really did. Um, a lot of poverty mentality that went along with that in the town that I'm from. Um, I think the the county is one of the uh, per capita, one of the poorest counties in in the country. And so from that, um, I I just bumbled into where I was. And I wish that I had, I'm often jealous of people when I hear people that go into education talk about how they had this passion and they set up the dolls when they were a little girl and taught them. I, I didn't do any of that stuff. I really did not have a plan. And my plan came from looking at my own challenges that I had to overcome and wanting to do that for other people. And so um, got married young out of college, did even finish college and got married and ended up with family. And because I didn't have very much of a family, but bringing, I wanted to, to um, stay home. And so you mentioned that earlier. And that's the reason that staying home was so important to me. But it also meant that I was late coming to the party as far as the career world. And so that, that was a little bit of my path. And so um want to help other people not have to go through what I did. And I want to share well, I, all the things I did wrong. Well, and I love that. The one that you're so open about your past, because mm. a lot of people feel ashamed about it rather than embracing it, that it really creates who they are. So when you talk mm. about your parents didn't really give you those goals, I'm sure that there are a lot of other people that are listening that mm. may have experienced the same thing. Well, I'm going to be so, honest with you too. Um, it is just recently that I have been able to say the words, I grew up in poverty. Um, I think the first time I said it was at the interview for the institution where I currently work. And mm -hmm. it shocked me because I heard it come out of my mouth because you're right. It is, it's something that you don't want people to know. You don't want them to know that you may not know something. And I feel like imposter syndrome and I'm always playing catch up, but um. Now that I have said those words, look where I am today. I mean, to be honest, I mean, like it can help other people and who am I to hold that back? And so that's my, been my whole goal for students. Why don't I do that for other women? So I, I, I really want to do that. Well, and, and being true to who you are and being willing to share your story makes you vulnerable. It does. And people connect to vulnerability and they feel like they have some sort of relationship with you. So the fact that you are embracing your challenges and wanting to do something to help others who may be going through the same thing so that you can help them make better decisions. I just think that's so commendable. I love that you're doing that and you enjoy it. Uh, I do now. It, the, it's it's really learning to um, live with the fear. Can you do it afraid is what I always ask myself, because if I'm going to achieve or, or you know, climb higher, um, whatever that looks like, um, I'm going to have to do it with fear. I, I always waited, waited for the fear to go away. It's not going to happen. You have to do it afraid. Well, and that's that's a big thing that we actually talked about in some of our, our pre-discussions that we had 
is living with fear. Mm. So whenever you have fear, how do you overcome that? How do you, how do you continue to live in that in a way that it keeps pushing you forward rather than causing you to kind of go back into your own space? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I've, I found out through, you know, coming late to the work environment is how afraid I was. I would go home and be like, why was my day so particularly bad. My husband would ask me like, what happened? And it wasn't anything that happened. It was my reaction to what happened that was holding me back. I was afraid all the time that I was going to make mistakes, that I was going to be, you know, someone was going to come in because that was my childhood. You know, when growing up in in poverty and with poverty mindset, um, a lot of things I went through as a young person, um, you know, I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so what I learned though, is that fear kills creativity. It, I cannot be creative and I cannot do outside of the box thinking and those type of things. Um, you can't go above the status quo if you are paralyzed by fear in, in your work environment. And that's, that's what I experienced. And so it really is a lie, though. I would tell myself everybody else had it all together. I would look at other people and say, they are great. I am not. And so it really is just, it's a lie. Not everybody has it all together. And if you, you know, you, you have to learn and you have to grow. And I've given myself permission to be able to do that. But, um, I've stopped believing the lie. I really have. Well, well, and that takes a mind shift. It really does. And Mm -hmm. so you were talking to yourself. So that was some of your inner voice that you say you've had to shift, but was there anything with the leadership around you that was creating that atmosphere of fear? Um, Well, you know, I've worked for lots of different people and everybody has different personalities and that's, that's fine. I mean, everybody should be able to be who they are at work, but um, I have, like I told you before, you know, being able to say I grew up in poverty, just being be able to be honest with my leaders and I have with the one that I currently am, it's just been fantastic and just say, this is why I respond this way. You know, not having to have a heart to heart every day, but just like helping them understand why and maybe, maybe, and she's responded to me in different ways and, and have been able to implement some, she, she, she deals with me differently because I was honest and it was a, a place of fear and you're always thinking that's going to be seen as a deficit, but it's really not. Well, and that's something else to bring up is that whenever you do have these conversations, communication is key. Yes. Because, and I've talked about this in other shows, but even as you're talking, you probably have a vision in your mind of a scenario rolling like a, like a movie as you're talking, but somebody else who has a different experience, different perspective, they might be thinking something completely different. So if you have those open conversations and understand, as you mentioned, the whys or where you both are coming from based on your experiences, then you're able to find that place where you can connect. Absolutely. And I will tell you something else I've noticed is that because I have the perspective that I have, and maybe I'm sharing things in team meetings from my perspective, it trickles down and it, it hel- has helped me to be an advocate for students who mm-hmm. are going through the same type of um, barriers that I went through. And so we're able to like, oh gosh, I didn't really think about it because, because they haven't come from that background. You know, right. they don't, they don't have that experience. And so it's, it's helped our team become stronger to be honest, but it wouldn't have if I was afraid to share that. If that makes That's sense. Right. So what would you say is your biggest challenge uh, that you've my, been going through? Uh, I, I think coming late, um, coming okay. to the career world late, um, you know, because I, like I said, I stayed in with my kids for eight years. I graduated from college in 2009, you know, I was, you know, late, late thirties and uh, yeah, just feeling like I had to play catch up. Technology has been a huge issue for me, like learning, learning, feel, always feeling like I'm on the back end of that. Um, but really taking advantage of any trainings that are through my work. Like if they, if they will offer training, I will be there. Um, right. And, and getting rid of that, you know, that shame. It's like, you know, I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to go learn, you know, everybody can learn. And so being, not being afraid to 
be vulnerable in that way too. Overcoming technology issues has been has been huge for me and really just yeah, imposter well, syndrome. One of the things you mentioned is, you know, you grew up in a home that wasn't really focused on education or going mm-hmm. beyond where you were. Nope. And when you had your own family, you decided to focus on family. And there's so many that do that. You know, you and I both lived in the southeast part mm-hmm. of our country. And family is is a big part of of everything that's around. And so wanting to focus on your family, so many women feel like they are giving up everything if they just focus on family. But you are here to share that as a non-traditional, and we'll explain what those mean for those that don't know, Mm -hmm. first generation, non-traditional student, that you are still now living the life that you want to live and you're helping others in the process from your experiences. I, I wish that there was, I, I wish that people had a different view of women who stay home in the workplace. I, you know, I look at them and they're always afraid I'm going to fall behind. You know, my, my position is going to not be there when I come back. And I, I think about what child rearing did for me in the home. I mean, and you relate that there is, there is a skill there that relates to every job skill I've ever had. I mean, you want to talk about time management. Oh my goodness. Managing a family. Um, you want to talk about organization. I mean, you, you should have seen my pantry. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> You want to talk about prioritizing? How do you prioritize your time? It's always a question I'm asking in the workplace. You know, when, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, usually your, your day is scheduled. I mean, with child, the children's activities, that sort of thing. Wow, priority. Sacrifice for the greater good of the team or the family. All of those things are skills that you you get while you're being a mom at home. But we, for some reason, decide that we want to just leave that at the door when people either come back to the workplace or decide to leave. And it's it's actually on the job training, if you think about it. And I wish there was a greater, um, I wish people viewed that in a different way so that it was seen as an asset instead of a deficit. It was well, for me. I- And how did you bring those skills? Because they are assets, 100%. You know, we know that women in a place of leadership, they are those transformational leaders because they are able to multitask and organize and prioritize. And again, that does usually come from raising that family. But as you come into the workplace and as you go to school, which you did, how did those skills help you as a first-generation non-traditional? So let me me explain what first-generation non-traditional is to those that are listening. A first-generation student is somebody that is going to school. They are the first one of their family, the first generation to actually get higher education skills or um, degree. Then a non-traditional student is somebody that has gone to the workforce and then come back or somebody that is over the traditional 18 to 22 years old, which most of our university students are. So Brenda, you were both. You were first-gen and non-traditional. So how did you use those skills you learned raising your family, skills of life, skills of your background to be successful once you got to school? I think you have to make, well, for me, I had to make the connection. Like, you know, you would always think, well, have you done this? Well, no. Well, yes, I have done this. Is is connecting that and realizing that those things have impact in the workplace and being able to not be afraid to share that. Like, especially for interviews, you know, what have you done? Well, I, I haven't done this in the workplace, maybe. However, please take and keep in mind that I, you know, I used to run a cake decorating business out of my home when my children were little. I mean, I, I managed a business. I made, I made cakes. We needed the money to be honest with you, but I learned a new skill. And it's like, I took that initiative, being able to bring that to, to the, um, to your career and saying, maybe I did it. I did 
in a different way, but not negating that because it 100, maybe you weren't paid for it. Um, we should be, but you know, if, even if you weren't paid for it, um, yeah, it, it still has impact and you, you, you have done those things. And a lot of times I think I forgot that and it was like, oh, but I have. And I think making that connection is the key. Well, and so many people try to hide that they were a mom. Yes. It's seen, like I said, it's seen as a, it's seen as a negative and it's not, it's not negative. Um, it really isn't. Well, and I think that if you can, I mean, cause you you shared some great skill sets that are being a mom and I'm sure all the moms out there going, Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yes. I am doing those things. And so translating those to the workplace is huge. I mean, even making a list of what you did at home, I mean, I think would be helpful. Like these are the things I did. And then you know, relating that on the other side of the page to to what you're being asked to do in the career world so that when you are ready to have conversations, it's there. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not having to dig right. that up because for me, I wouldn't be able to produce that in a conversation because like you said, it's that shame factor. Like I stayed home and I was out of the game or whatever. But you- Right. But they really are transferable skills. They are so transferable. I think that that is so important that even if you are not in education coming into education, if you are not in a workplace coming into the workplace, there are transferable skills. It's the way that you speak about them and the way that you share them that's the biggest difference. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Yep. Well, we have been talking with Brenda Jones about women in leadership, first-gen, non-traditional, and a little bit about imposter syndrome. And we're about to go to a two-minute break, but when we come back, we'll continue talking with Brenda about imposter syndrome. Back in a few. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When there is a war on talent, you have to go to combat. What is career combat? It's a show that airs at 7 a.m. Pacific time on Fridays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel that acts as your destination for real career talk and real career advice. Hear from the best and brightest in the biz as your host, Kelly Combat, gives you the answers you need. Career Combat, Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? 
Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. And we are talking today to Brenda Jones. So we've just been talking a little bit about your background and your history and kind of where you came from. And so let's continue to talk about how you use those skills you learned when you were being a mom. Now you've come into the school as a non-traditional first-generation student, and then you go into the workplace. So how have you been able to navigate that work-life balance? Well, um, I'll be honest with you on this. I have failed miserably at work-life balance. <laughs> and um, this it, it seems like a show where I'm just sharing all of my uh, things I've done wrong. But um, because because I'm, I am first gen and you always have that um, in the back of your mind, that I've got to prove myself, you know, I'm, I'm somehow less than, I'm late to the party, whatever. Um, for someone who spent eight years at home and was late coming to the career world because I wanted my family to know that I was there for them and cared about them, um, I went on the opposite end of the spectrum. So from there, um, became a workaholic. I everything. I said yes to everything um, because I wanted you to like me, right? I wanted you to think I was I was competent. And um, I actually ended up um, getting a, a diagnosis for MS. And I, I'm not saying it was caused by all the stress or all the, the overload, but it's not something that certainly did not help. And so I ended up on a stroke ward um, at a hospital here. I was there for four days and uh, the whole right side of my body went numb and my body was telling me, you know, something's wrong. And so I had to kind of listen to those, those um, that message that, that the body was sending. Um, and I put my family on the back burner. So for someone who ended up, um, you know, who, who cared about family so much, I ended up putting them on the back burner because I felt like I had to get ahead and I stayed at work until seven or eight o'clock at night. Every night I checked emails on the weekends. Um, it didn't matter. Like I was going to be there. I was going to be the one that showed up. And I really felt like people cared about me because of that. And it's really just kind of, it, it, it's not true. You know, people don't expect you to stay at work until 9 PM. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. And um, yeah, so my health suffered and my family suffered and I have had to learn to um, build my own fences. And what I mean by that is that all of the things that were happening that were crushing on me as far as, as time were self-imposed. And I realized that it's like, nobody's telling me I have to do this. You're, you're creating this, this world in your own mind. And it's, 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 it's false. It's not true. Um, and so I stopped doing those things and I stopped um, trying to hitch myself to a person at work. Like that person's got it going on. And so I have to impress them. And I started to try to impress myself. Um, and so by, by building my own fences and, and putting up some boundaries, um, I stopped defining myself by my job. It was very difficult to do. I asked myself a really important question. Like, what if you couldn't work another day in your life? What if, what if you, you, you didn't have a job anymore? Like you, you couldn't, who would you want to be? And the things that I told myself, I mean, I want, I want to be a good person. I want to show up for other people in my life. I don't want to be on this, this ladder that I'm on. Um, and so I, I started taking on that personality at my job. Like I, I want to be human. I want to laugh. I have a great sense of humor and I wanted to bring that into the workforce. And so my personality um, and my attitude towards work completely changed and I'm much happier now. Um, I don't have a huge title and you know what, for the first time I'm okay with that. I'm all right. You, yeah. You have shared so much right there. Mm-hmm. So, so let's kind of back up a little bit. Sure. You, you talked about 
pretty much trying to prove who you were. Mm -hmm. And I think that so many women do that. They go from, you know, being at home and, and working with the kids and, you know, doing all the things in the community. Then you go into the workplace and you have to flick that switch on. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly what you were saying. And I'm sure that people do that all the time. And I know that I did that for a long time as mm-hmm. well as you felt like if there was a task that had to be done, that you had to do it because of, you know, I had a title, you know, I great. It, it's not the, the end of it, you know, but mm-hmm. I had a title at the time, but whenever I was out in public, people would go, Oh, you're this person. So you felt that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't finish something, you felt like you were letting other people down. And so I love that you said a lot of it is self-imposed because it really is. Mm-hmm. So if most people would stop and go, all right, who is giving me this deadline? Is it me? Do I really have to get it done right now? Is it life and death? Or is it just something that they're wanting me to do? But I loved how you said you're building your own fences. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to really embrace where you are, what you're doing, and you have to know yourself. Yes. And and as you mentioned, it took a health scare for you. Mm -hmm before you made a change. And my background being health and wellness, a lot of folks have these behavioral stages of change. And the very first one is when you decide to change, you have to be so uncomfortable with the situation that you need to make the change. And a lot of times you're like, oh yeah, I need to change or, oh yeah, I don't need to spend so much time at work. But until there's something major, you're not going to stop what you're doing until you decide that you're going to make the change. And so I love that question that you asked yourself, if I couldn't work anymore, Mm -hmm. who would I want to be? And so at what point did you ask that? You know, how long ago was that that you asked that question? Honestly, and it was in the hospital um, after in the hospital. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When all the feeling came back on the right side of my body and I was able to speak again um, and they determined (laughs) that I was not having a stroke, you know, in in my 40s. Uh, Yeah, they. um, they kind of left me alone in the room after they told me that the diagnosis and I had a, wow, ju- it was just a, a moment of just, nobody else was there. It was just me. And mm-hmm. I was like, I got to do something different. This is, this is not who I want to be. And I, I looked at what I had done to my family. Like I was not there. I don't think for my children during teenage years, you know, they were at a, in, in school and I was at work all the time. And everybody's like, well, they don't need you as much when they're teens, but they really do. And so I, I had to go back and do like, you know, apologize to them, but I had to apologize to myself too, because I had put myself, you know, where, where I was, I had, I had had to face that. And Mm -hmm. it was, um, it was difficult, but I, I didn't want to, to be defined by that, that job, you know, who am I as a person besides this? Am I, am I just this? And, and that question was tough. And I, and I, I found out that I'm a, I'm a lot more than that. And I forgot that I had a sense of humor and I was like, wow, you, I lost myself trying to be something for somebody else. Does that make sense? That that really wasn't even, didn't even like care. didn't even know that this internal like struggle was going on with me. And it was just, it was pointless. Well, and when you talk about humor, Mm -hmm. one of the terms that you and I shared prior to this call was find the funny. Yes, I can. And and I learned that just from the background I grew up in when everything was chaos and you're just like, wow, that is a mess. Just being able to laugh. And, and I forgot that. I forgot that I could do that at work. Like chaos happens here too. And like, and and I forgot that, but I've rekindled that. Not that I'm sitting around laughing and being inappropriate at work, but just being able to internally 
just just laugh like this is ridiculous but it's going to be okay and i'm going to figure it out and it's not a reflection on me um what's happening and i always you know as an as impo- someone with imposter syndrome you always feel like whatever's happening around you this in, in the work environment or at home it's like it's somehow your fault mm-hmm. um and and then and that's not true you know if something that you can fix obviously you know if something you're responsible for but not everything is a, your fault and not everything is life and death so you don't own everything around you no you don't yeah. so that's been helpful well, and finding the funny is just essential. If you can't laugh at yourself and what's going on, I mean, what good are you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to be at work this many hours a day and like not be able to to laugh about it and and have a good time and enjoy the people around me. Right. That's right. And one hundred percent. And I have you know, like thirteen students under me, whether it's academic coaches or or GAs now. And I don't want to be, you know, the sourpuss. Like I want to, I want to enjoy them. I want to find out what's going on in their lives, and like I, I want to have relationships that that mean something to them. So right. Well, tell me in your journey from when you're born to now, have mm-hmm. you had any mentors that have really helped guide you along the way? I have. Um, this is going to sound odd. Um, but I, I've had two. And um, one of them is, is Dr. Mickey Wadia. He um, was an English professor that I had when I was a non-traditional student at Austin P State University in Clarksville, Tennessee. And I went back, to, you know, like I said, in my 30s. And I'm taking public speaking with 18-year-old boys who thought that I was Grandma Moses because <laughs> I'm so old. And, you know, it's like one foot in the grave to, to them. And yeah, that was that was a difficult time. And like I told you about the technology, I'd stayed home with my kids. I had been going to, you know, mommy and me play dates, and I was not working on keeping up with the technology skills. And a lot of things changed, and so I ended up in a technical writing class, and I had to create a, a technical manual. And I didn't even have a computer. And I loved my professor. He was the best thing that I had ever seen. I mean, it was amazing. But I knew I wasn't going to be able to do it. I knew I was done. And so I showed up in his office and I, during office hours and said, Hey, my name is Brenda Jones. I don't know if you know me, you're the best teacher I've ever had, but I'm dropping out of school. And I want you to know why, because I, I feel like, I'm, you know, you, you at least need to know, I didn't just fall off the face of the earth. And he, he said, shut the door. And from that, he said, you're not going to drop out of school. He's like, I can show you where to go buy a computer. The man taught me how to work my computer. I'm not going to cry. So <laughs> yeah, but he ended up, um, helping me to the point. I mean, I made an A in that class. It, it's not, and, it, and I learned it's not because you were dumb. You're not dumb. You just don't know. Being right. vulnerable, being vulnerable, saying, hey, I don't know, please help me. Um, he ended up giving me a, an award. It was called the duck on the desert award. Cause I told him, I said, I'm as lost this is Alabama. Okay. I'm sorry. But I said, I'm as lost as a duck on a desert. And he just cracked up because he'd never heard that term before. So it was almost like the, uh, the most improved or whatever, but he ended up giving that, that to me publicly. And I loved him and I still do. And we still talk and he's still part of, you know, part of my, I think about him all the time. The second person is you. And oh yeah, um, I, I'll share, I'll share the story of, of how we met. So when I first met you, I had taken a step back from, from high school. I knew I wanted to work in higher ed. And so I took an entry level job, which was an admissions. And I was a, I was an admissions, um, recruiter. I recruited transfer students, which is how I ended up in your office. And I thought, gosh, this person is so accomplished. Like she's going to treat me like, because again, with imposter syndrome, you're always expecting people with titles to talk down to you or to let you know that, you know, what your position is. And I come in and I found the exact opposite. You stayed after um, 
you had something to do and you stayed after because I couldn't get there till late because I was traveling from a different part of the state. And you're like, no problem. And you, we had just signed um, a, a, a transfer, uh, um, gosh, an, an MOU. It was a transfer pathways uh, document between our institutions. And you not only you not only talked to me about that, but you said, I don't just want this to be something on paper. I really want to make this live. And so from that, you you treated me like such a human and i thought god who is this person and we ended up we ended up like talking back and forth and i'm like why would you ever talk to somebody at my level and it was not only that you talked to me but like connected me with people at your school you invited me to recruit and filled up an entire auditorium of people to where i ran out of recruitment materials and i felt like i was coming into your house instead of coming into your job I've never met anybody like that. And so that's where this came from. So I think that mentorship is huge. It's important. I think it's important for women to see other women that they can, that they can look at as models. But I I don't think it's necessary that it has to be female because Dr. Wadia, you know, he's from the slums of Calcutta. I have nothing in common with this man. He's from a different country. We have different backgrounds, but he's meant more to me than anything. I don't think it has to be female. I think that's important, but not necessarily, you know. Right. And and thank you so much. I'm blushing for those of you that can't see me in person. But, you know, we, t- we do talk about mentorship and mentorship has to be connection with somebody. Yes. It doesn't have to be a woman. For me, I was looking for women mentors because my mom was my mentor and she was so strong. So I was really looking for that motherly type figure and a mentorship as I was growing up. Mm. But I love some of the things that you said that you know, when you figure that you were done, you thought you were done, but Mm -hmm. you know, this instructor didn't let you be done. I want students to hear that because so many times they do just disappear. I have seen that so many times as an administrator in higher ed, that students just say, I'm done. And they leave Mm -hmm. without giving any justification. Not that, not that every situation is going to keep you in the school, but if you at least go to somebody, if mm-hmm. you at least share what's going on, if you at least, as you mentioned, if you're vulnerable and go say, hey, I need some help, then there are so many students and so many other individuals that could probably be saved, for lack of a better phrase, and not quit school so that they could complete and reach their educational goals. And so I think that is huge that you said, you know, I was done, but I felt like I owed it to him Mm -hmm. to tell him why. And that's when he said, oh, no, no, no. Let's work on this together. Absolutely. And I think in our in our country, um, you know, failure is not is not seen as part of the process of learning. It's it's something you hide and something that you're ashamed of not seen as, um, you know, a step to success. Other countries like, you know. I know in Japan, like the students will get up on the board and if they make a mistake, like the rest of the class comes along and like helps them until they can figure the concept out here. We, we see it differently. And I I wish there was a mindset change on that because that's why we hide it is because we're afraid we're it's failure is not taught as part of the learning process. It's something that's seen as um, something to be avoided, not something to be embraced. Well, and really, if you never fail, then you're never learning. Right. Because that's the way that you learn what not to do or how to shift what you're doing so that you can do it differently the next time. I think everybody goes through it, but we don't talk about it. It's like, like I said, something that you, you hide. And so he didn't let me hide it and said, nope, we're going to, we're going to do this. And I thought, wow. And it it changed my life. Right. Well, and I love that because he wasn't self-centered at all. I mean, he was, he was out there and he wanted to help you. He was serving. Yep. 
And so that's a huge part of leadership in my eyes is, are you in your position for yourself because you want the title, but you don't want the responsibility that's or huge. are you in it so that you can serve others? Absolutely. And I've, I've seen that in, in education quite a bit. It's like everyone, the catch, you know, we're all, we're all here for the students. We're all here for the students. And it's like, you would watch them and you're like, no, you're really here to use students to progress your your position and your title. Um, please don't act like that because you're, you're not, you know, you're, you're really just, they're just um, kind of part of the, part of the ladder for you. You're stacking them up so you can stand on them to achieve whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And that's, that's wrong. That's abuse, yeah. honestly. Part of your agenda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I, again, I love that you brought up the piece about failure because as you mentioned, if you're always successful, then you also don't know how to deal with conflict or resistance or any of those things, which there are so many challenges, especially these days with students not knowing how to do that. Mm. So, So with the program that you have now, and we're almost at time for break, but with the program that you have now, just briefly share, what does your title mean as? Sure. It doesn't really tell you what I do. Academic no. <laughs> support coordinator too. It just means that I oversee two two programs. One of them is academic coaching, and in my office, we it's divided up into tutoring, coaching, and we do workshops, and we also do testing. And so I'm over academic coaching um, and workshops, and uh, skills workshops is what they are. Tutoring focuses more on. Um, what like content for math or science coaching is more note-taking and skill space. How do I do college? Well, from somebody who just didn't know how to do college, it seems like a good, you know, I, I really relate to it well because I yeah. want students to know how to do college. Um, and so, yeah. And then skills yeah. workshops or stuff like time management. Well, and I love that you're doing things to serve other students at some of those wraparound services. So let's continue to talk about this when we come back in sure. two minutes with Brenda Abs- Jones. Absolutely. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. This is Dr. Stephanie Dugan with Brenda Jones. And we have been talking about first-generation, non-traditional students, imposter syndrome, mentors, and we were just talking about how Brenda uses her background and experience to serve other students through what she does currently at the university where she serves. So Brenda, let's go ahead and continue sharing. What is it that you do with these learning communities? Sure. Um, so that's the other half of the uh, support coordinator to title that I have. Um, so the learning community that I serve are students who traditionally would have been left out of the um, admissions process based on some barrier to graduation. Um, but what my institution does is heavily resources this group of students. So they all live together in one residence hall on one floor. Um, and the, the goal is to build community there with these students through not just academic things, but also um, the social stuff. So we're building a boat for a homecoming boat race that's built completely out of cardboard and they wrap it into duct tape and so they have to be they have to be together to do those things um but we also you know put them in front of educate we bring things to them you know we'll bring folks from school who they would be scared to approach like vice presidents and we bring them in and have tea with them in their residence hall so trying to break down barriers that way and break down some of that fear because my institution realizes what imposter syndrome is and that these students need a little bit of um, a different touch than say your honors group or your STEM LLC, which we also have as well. So mm-hmm. I'm proud to be a part of that and um, proud to be able to help students who were like me. Well, and, and it takes somebody who's experienced it to really connect. I mean, you can have anybody with that position, but it seems like you're really able to connect with these students. Yeah. And like realizing that when they're not wanting to participate or you're you're getting attitude sometimes, I think um, especially like the GA that I work with, she's just in awe um, that they're going to be nasty or snarky. And I say, do you know that 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 anger you know what the root of that is? It's fear. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, they're afraid. They're afraid they're not going to be successful. So they're they're going to put that up. And so it really is learning about, you know, instead of being turned off by that and, and, and saying, we don't want to deal with you, it's like figuring out different ways around that because I've been that person, you know? So um, it's exciting to be able to, to look at that and not be in the middle of it anymore and be able to help somebody else through it. Well, and the fact that you all have created these communities. So whenever you do have communities, that's usually a lot of people together, mm-hmm. but I would feel that some of them would probably connect with certain individuals. You know, we were talking about mentorship earlier and, you know, we're saying mentorship is great, but not everybody seeks out mentorship. Just like these students don't always seek out mm-hmm. this kind of assistance or enhanced service. So, I mean, how did your mentorships mm-hmm come about i mean you, well, you saw it out of need is what you were saying yeah for well dr wadia the um the professor that i mentioned earlier for, for him i mean i i never would have approached him had i not had gone to him and said i'm about to drop out of school I never would have i mean we just went for office i just went for office hours but he 
it became something in that moment for me. And I was like, oh, it, it happened from, from need for you. Um, it, it happened through, through work. It was just like, I was working with you and we, we had just signed this partnership and it happened that way. But I never meant for either one of those things to happen because nobody ever told me that I needed a mentor. It should have been clear. It was glaringly obvious now that I look back, but I think it's something that, um, is, you know, for your institution where I work, obviously sees that as in mentorship is huge because now not just for students, but as employees, I mean, we are assigned a mentor when we are brand new. And so I think, I think it's becoming more popular. Um, and I, I'm glad about that. Right. And mentorship has had, I don't know if it's a negative connotation, but a lot of people see mentorship as something that somebody else has. It's not something for me. It's somebody that something that somebody else does. And so I think that by you saying it was just this scenario that I just connected with somebody and resonated with them and they were my guide for the next stage in what I was going through. And I really think that that's what mentorship is, is it's your guide to go from where you are to the next level of where you need to be. And it's not always forever. Right. Absolutely. And I, I've seen that in, in, in the work situations where I am, where somebody will find somebody and it's like, oh my gosh, I want to be that. And I love that, that they have somebody that they can connect with. But I also think it's really good to have balance and not forget who you are in that relationship. Like you're not trying to be that person. You're not That's trying right. to impress that person um, it, because that, that person's role is to help you be your best self, not to be them. Does that make sense? I think sometimes that gets lost too in translation, but for students, yeah, I think it's huge to say, this is something that you, you should, it's okay to seek out. And if it happens, great. Um, it's, if it, but it doesn't have to be something that, um, I don't know, it doesn't have to be something that is, is a stigma attached to it. Um, and I think right. sometimes you're right, it does have a stigma, which I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Well, it's asking for help. You're right. Yeah. People see it as asking for help. And so it's the fear that somebody's going to feel that they're weak for asking mm-hmm. for help. Yeah. It's just but relationship. Sometimes, yeah, I, absolutely. It is relation. It just has a fancy word associated to it for relationships. And so you were talking about these students and sometimes they come out with fear in whatever mm-hmm. form that that is as they're coming to you. So what do you feel like technology or, you know, some of the, the things that we have gone through as a world in the past couple of years do you think that has had any effect on these students not really knowing how to be in a community and you're having to teach these mm. skills? I do. I think, you know, obviously what the, the, we always talk about COVID, but that, that did have an effect because of the students that are coming into our institution right now. They were largely um, going to school online. And so I think it has, it has had an impact, but we continue to invite, we continue to let them know, you know, if we get that resistance, like, listen, this is just a resource. And, and, and we, we open it up to the, the entire, um, the entire um, residence hall where these students are, not just for the students that are on our floor, they're in our learning community, but like, hey, we're here for all first time in college students, not just, and, and so it becomes less of a, a stigma like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to this because I'm in this LLC. It, it's for everybody. You know, when we, we, we open it up that way, if we're encouraging them to go to certain events on campus, we, we ask them to go as groups and our RAs that are there that work with us, take them as groups. So it, it takes away that fear of I'm going to be the only person, you know, I'm going with a group of people. So that's ways that we've tried to make that approachable for them. 
Love that. Yeah. And then with these students, do you see any imposter syndrome within them? I do. I know. And just like what I was telling you about with, with some of the resistance. Oh, I'm not part of this. I didn't ask to be a part of this. Why am I here? You know, that kind of thing. Um, it, it's just, it's fear because I also can see from my data, which I'd never share with, with anybody, but I know who's, you know, high risk, low risk, meaning I can see that. And the ones that have given us um, the most pushback are the ones that are in those high risk categories. So it's like, you don't want it. You say you don't want it, but really you're the one who, who would benefit from this most. So. Well, and we've been talking about imposter syndrome a lot, but there mm-hmm. might be some listening that don't really understand what that means. Mm-hmm. Do you have a definition of what it means to you? Uh, I can tell you, yeah. Imposter syndrome is, is it's a, it's the fear when you, when you walk into a room, it's a feeling I had for years and years and years that you don't belong here. It's that, um, uh, you don't have the experience. You don't have the background. You're, you know, you're from uh, a poor family, a poor environment. You grew up like this. You know, you can't achieve here. You don't belong. And so for me, it's that, it's that feeling. And it's, it's truly, it's a lie that you have to overcome. And we talked about mm-hmm. that earlier, but um, that's what it is to me. It's just um, your, your background doesn't allow you to be successful, which is so not true because just because you started that way, it does not mean that that's where you're going to end up but it often feels like that you can't overcome, but you can. And again, a lot of that was your own perception. Yes. Others don't know where you came from. They They don't the room (laughs) until you tell them. Yeah. And and, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in all of your experience in higher ed and in K-12, because you did have experience in both places Mm -hmm. and talking about empowering women in educational leadership. So let's just talk about just leadership in general. So one of the things that we talked about earlier was that if somebody is a leader that instills fear to get mm. you to produce, you know, I think what does that feel like? For, for somebody who has imposter syndrome and already feels like they don't belong in the workplace or they can't achieve, having a leader that leads through, through um, fear is probably the worst type of, of leader that you can be under. And I've, I've had that before. And, and that's where I, I kind of talk to you that, I would sit at my desk and instead of thinking about ways to overcome problems or to think outside the box, like what can we do to help these students? I would just be paralyzed by fear that I was going to get in trouble all the time. And you can't really work like that. I would go home frustrated and nothing really got accomplished because I, I just could not, I couldn't move forward because I was afraid of my boss. And so I feel, I feel like um, being open and honest with leadership, even if they have that type of personality and say, Hey, listen, you know, your leadership respectfully, you know, um, sometimes I, I feel afraid just being honest about how that, that affects you. Um, I've worked with someone now who is completely opposite of that in every way. And it's like a breath of fresh air because they understand me um, from the same type of area that I'm from. And we've been able to connect at that, but it, before I was too embarrassed to even say. And so she knows that when I'm responding in a certain way, it's because of that. It's because of that. And so we've been able to to overcome that together. And I feel so much more like we're a team than she's, you know, I'm her subordinate. I would, I never, I never feel like that anymore. Right. Having the, having the past. Well, when we were talking about the fear aspect, cause you talk about you being mm-hmm. paralyzed, mm-hmm. but you're also probably the person, not you, but in general, the person who is in that situation, they probably just want to get out of there and leave and they're not willing to say anything to that leader. So it's just going to continue. And that's, that's the downfall of it, unfortunately. Absolutely. But when you have somebody that is a good leader, a lot of times they get feedback. Oh, I love that you're doing this, or that's a great opportunity. So, you know, and we may not be able to answer this right now, but 
how would somebody that might be scared of their boss or doesn't like something that's going on be able to address that? You know, that's, that's such a challenge because I've had leaders. Yeah. I've had leaders that I'm like, Oh, I just don't like that. But you try to address it with them and they don't see it. Or you try to go to the superior and they're like, well, you've got to go to your boss. (laughs) So, so you're kind of stuck. It almost seems, but I think that if you are the model for, you know, what you treat others as you'd like to be treated, I think that's how a lot of folks are doing it these days is, you know, live by the golden rule and focus on serving others and elevating those around you. And it's not about me. You know, it's not about. I I think you're so right. And I love that you talked about not having a title that doesn't, the title doesn't equate to leadership. I mean, if you're the person on on the job, people notice are not running their mouth about other people like, Hey, you know, they'll start coming to you with, with their issues and you become kind of the sounding board. That's leadership. It doesn't have, it doesn't come with a title, but it comes with, um, like you said, the way that you treat other people and the way you make other people feel. When I left your office the day that I first met you, I will never Mm -hmm. forget the way that you made me feel. And that's leadership. Oh. It had nothing to do, I didn't, you know, with your with your title. It had everything to do with how you treated me. And so I think we can be that for other people, regardless mm-hmm. of what our title is at work. That's you right. Know? And one of Are the you- things, my, my husband and I worked um, in administration at the same college. And one of the things we would always say is, you know, one, it's not about us, but two is get to know everybody. Learn everybody's yes. name from the lowest to the highest. Get to know everybody and treat them as a person. They are all essential And especially with new folks, you know, I would meet with new folks on a weekly basis and just say, hey, this is your time. What can I help you with? What do you have questions about? It wasn't a leader talking to faculty. It was just open. Let's talk about these things. And so I think that how you work with others and how you treat others um, is huge. But we are about to run out of time. So as we talked about, I know this has gone so quickly. So I know that we talked about if if somebody wants to get in touch with you, we would like them to go ahead through me. You can Mm -hmm. always join my Facebook community for women in education and reach out if you'd like a free consultation with me for mentorship or speaking. For access to all the links in one location, visit voiceamerica.com and visit my page. And with life in education, I would love to be a speaker at your next event or work directly with you through my Empowering Women in Educational Leadership Mentorship Program. So that's kind of what we've been talking about is mentorship. And, you know, if anybody just wants to call and see if we're a good fit, that's great. Um, If not, then just join us on Facebook. So we are just about out of time. We've got about two more minutes. Are there any last words, words of wisdom or encouragement that you would like to share briefly? Um, I think just for women in leadership, I think strength is huge um, to be able to wade through any negativity that comes our way, whether it's self-imposed or whether it's through the work environment. And then um, just seizing opportunities to be an advocate for yourself first and for those around you. Love that. So be sure to tune in again next week, Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time on Voice American Network Empowerment Channel. I'd love to leave you with my favorite quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. A good leader inspires people to have confidence in the leader. A great leader inspires people to have confidence in themselves. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tune in next week to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership, where our guest will be Dr. Angela Robbins, the founder and owner of eLearning Doc. See you then. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. We hope you'll join us next week for another inspiring episode 